and welcome back to July's episode of Ladies First. I am Corey and Taylor is with me. Hello. And we're doing a little bit of a grab bag episode because there's been a lot that's happened in like the last month and we kind of want to cover a little bit of all of it. Some of the things that have happened have been really cool. Some of the things that have happened have been absolutely horrific. So we kind of want to talk about them on here, especially because, you know, they're queer related adjacent, you know, things that affect all of us. And, you know, it's just it's one of those months where too many things happen. So we're trying to uh, fit as much in as we can. We will be back in with a regular themed episode next month. Um Y'all should be looking forward to that if you're a Swifty fan. That's all I'll say. I'm sure Taylor is. Our Taylor is. <laughs> so I'm going to kick it off with our first topic. We have a lot of topics and we're just going to kind of go through the list. Some of them I'll have a little bit more information on. Some of them Taylor is going to take the lead on. But we're going to start off with, um, man, Europe, y'all got some fucking problems. Not that you didn't have fucking problems before last month, but my goodness. So let's start off with what's going on in Georgia. Georgia, the country, has a growing homophobia. Well, really just LGBT phobia problem. It has been growing and creeping up for several years. This year, uh, the Tbilisi Pride March had to just outright be canceled because of anti-LGBTQ violence uh more than 50 journalists were attacked on that incident when it was occurring one journalist died after being attacked um so alexandra lashkarava 37 he sustained his fractures to his facial bones and then he died later in his sleep he was found be- dead in his uh bed in the early hours after he had been attacked so i mean this happened on july 11th and there has been obviously overall there's a growing far-right problem populist problem in many many countries there is a religious component to what is going on in georgia this is very linked and it's unfortunate that the problem has been growing year after year after year but the level of violence this year you know with reporters being attacked others being attacked you know a man died from this it's you know it's unacceptable and i know there's There was going to be a protest rally demanding the resignation of the prime minister, Irakli Garish, pardon me, Irakli Garibashvili, 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 there we go, Uh, pardon my pronunciation. Um, Yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. So that's the first bit of terrible news we're covering today. Uh, that's not the only problem that is going on over in Europe, however. Uh, the EU is talking about sanctioning, I believe it is Poland, 
sorry, suing Poland and Hungary for LGBT discrimination. So that is, like I said, Europe, what the fuck? It's an escalating rule of law fight with these two countries. There's been recent, some of you may have seen it in the news, anti-LGBT laws in Hungary. Um, The so-called LGBT free zones in Poland and there's now this kind of row on whether Poland and Hungary can have their way with their domestic laws or if the EU laws are going to prevail. And there's this growing standoff on what the fallout could be and whether Brussels, you know, where the EU is kind of headquartered, should be withholding funds from Budapest and Warsaw. So there's a fight brewing there. There's a lot of legal ramifications there. We're going to see how much teeth the EU actually has in enforcing some of these things. And if Hungary or Poland just maybe say whatever will take the hit. Don't know how that's going to shake out. We'll have to wait and see. But at least the the EU is trying to step in and be like, you know, if you're going to be a member, you have to follow our anti-discrimination policies um you know there's a number of eu laws banning the discrimination so i mean it's yeah it's a mess uh the hungarian government in particular there the, the law that in that we're talking about would ban the promotion or depiction of homosexuality or transgender persons in any content intended for under 18 persons so that yeah it's just like I said, Europe. What the fuck? I'm gonna let Taylor weigh in really quick. But the whole it was Hungary. You said yes. That was like limiting queer depictions to only mm-hmm. people 18 and older. It definitely reminds me of the classic "Think of the Children" moral panic that we often see come up in the United States, which clearly does not um, follow borders, and it's just like this classic argument for people who discriminate discriminatory views. Right. Gotta protect the children. And then obviously the Polish issue is like I said, they they're wanting uh, LGBT free zones, LGBT ideology free zones from local Polish authorities. So um, those declarations would also be in violation of EU law regarding non-discrimination on the grounds of sexual orientation. Really, we're going to be finding out how far the EU wants to take this and how these two countries are going to respond. I know there is a party in Poland that would just as soon see Poland leave the EU. I don't necessarily know that everybody else wants to see that, but I, I think there is going to be a showdown coming at some point to see if the EU is actually going to show its teeth and show some bite and enforce these policies of non-discrimination. I remember when I was reviewing, skimming an article just to get the gist of all this and just seeing the term LGBT free zone. That's just so, if you read that in a book, a book about like a a dystopian authoritarian government, you as the reader would call it out as like two on the nose. Mm -hmm. Because. And yet. And yet. Now I know I said Europe, what the fuck? I'm saving a lot of what the fuck for the u.s because i mean we're a giant trash fire at the moment for a lot of different things but in particular 
this recently happened. Um, it was just reported by the intercept on July 18th. So yeah, that's just yesterday. Um, the transphobes rally in Los Angeles. Yeah, you heard me right. There was a basically far right transphobes showed up outside of a spa in Los Angeles dressed for a fight. I believe they stabbed two demonstrators and clubbed a journalist. And then the LAPD decided to crack down on the left wing protesters. So what Sounds I found about right for LAPD, to be honest. Mm hmm. Yeah, and the thing was, I think actually the stabbings and clubbings were from a previous transphobic rally at the same spa from two weeks before. Because yes, whole... I should clarify, the first yeah. rally was two weeks before yeah. where the violence occurred. Um, it was wrongly attributed by the right because they love to blame Antifa, of course. Um, wrongly attributed to left-wing counter-protesters before the you know journalists who were there had video photo evidence of what happened. So there was going to be another protest. Um, counter protesters showed up and well, we know how good the LAPD is on choosing who they're going to actually protect. Yes. And this completely ties in with to a degree with what's going on in the EU because this transphobic rally, which included proud boys was about the save the children panic because it was in response to a viral video from a, a month ago where one cis woman was spouting transphobic remarks about a trans woman at a spa and the video has been debunked as likely a fake but it's mm -hmm. still of course fox news platformed it and it went viral and led to a lot of transphobic vitriol online and now in real life because you, we've had two rallies outside the spa with Proud Boys in attendance and QAnon folks and such. And it's very reflective of just how reactionary transphobic people are right now. Transphobic, queerphobic. I mean, a lot of it, again, it's spurred by far right groups and they have made their bed on where they sit in the political wars. And it is very um, regressive. And it is very far right and it is very uh, violent and oppressive. And this is what happens. And of course, like I said, the LAPD just shows up and does a bang up job. And this was another instance also where people of the press were dealing with violence. Um, Jenny Olsen, this one journalist, was attacked um, by far right act, um, quote unquote activists there. I'm just going, and even left wing, some left wing activists were aggressive towards the press because they don't want to be photographed. And just, I'm putting this out there the press, leave the press alone. If you're at a protest, respect the journalists, the reporters, the camera people there because they are doing their job and helping to make sure that people who act out and hurt other people at these protests can be documented and held accountable later. I mean, if yeah. you're going to go to a protest and you don't want to be visible, you know, wear a mask. Um, but it's the pro it's the journalists who go to these like uh, Vishal Singh um, was non-binary advocacy journalist had their hand broken by a police officer's baton after filming this violence was one of the journalists that provided evidence that no, it wasn't 
the quote unquote Antifa starting this vi- this violence in the first place. It was the right wing protesters. I think we saw last summer at the height of the George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, pro- you know, all the protests that were having happening last summer. We saw that the journalists were being fired on, too, by the police. There were several clips of journalists either being hit or being shoved or being arrested, being fired at with tear gas canisters. So a lot of the journalists right now are really trying to wade in and show what exactly is happening and who is being aggressive. I mean, unfortunately, Fox News exists, but um, a lot of the journalists who are showing up are showing up because they want to report what is actually happening and what is the truth. A lot of them are showing up to maybe correct a narrative because we already know. We, we know the right wing are going to always, always, always blame anybody else for the shit they start. The January 6th insurrection, they, they still try to blame Antifa or they say, oh, it's just a tourist thing. Now, I think their new thing is what it wasn't nearly as bit bad as what the Democrats are saying, quote unquote, even though they were we know they were there. They were screaming and scared for their lives. We have photo evidence of them. So we have to have people there to show an accurate narrative of what is happening. Because here's the here's the thing, y'all. The right is going to try to propagandize everything they can. We know facts don't matter to them. So we need all the help we can get in setting the record straight for anybody for whom facts still matter. Pun not intended about the straight thing. (laughs) uh the word straight it has it can take so many positions and correct. yeah the correct narrative the actual narrative like i said there's some people that they don't care fact is no longer relevant to them it doesn't matter they are post fact people but for the rest of us you know people who might be on the fence or voting like the more accurate a narrative we can be getting out there the better so yeah, journalists in general are our allies and we've got to watch their backs as much as they watch ours if and when we are out at protests and such. And then because we're not just stopping in the Western Hemisphere, we're not just stopping in Europe, we're going to go over to the continent of Asia because WeChat is deleting pro-LGBT accounts. There's a lot of suck going on right now. There's a lot of suck going on right now. Yeah, I remember when you told me about this, I didn't even know what WeChat was or that it was from China because I'm not familiar with uh, Chinese social media at all. I remember looking this up and just how blatant it all is. It's just shocking and just really hitting home how it's not just in the United States, but just globally, we are seeing such right wing reactionary regressive pushback yes and what i I remember reading about this and it's not just um queer people and queer voices being silenced it's also feminist because there's so much overlap between um queer um activism and feminist activism in terms of gender liberation and protecting people to not be discriminated against for their sexual choices and how they dress, how they live in general. So yeah, some things really suck right now, but that's not all we're going to focus on because, you know, we've been down in the dumps for a hot minute. 
as far as this episode goes, there have been some pretty cool things that have happened as well. So I don't know. Some of you may be familiar with, with um, the filmmaker, Jenny Olson. She's been around for some time. She's criminally, criminally underrated with her work. Finally is getting some recognition. Uh, she recently won a Teddy award you know, she, she's a filmmaker, but she's also an archivist and she collects rare 35 millimeter, 16 millimeter quill, queer film. There we go. Prince, um, Harvard's film archive acquired them last summer, but she also has films like the joy of life and the Royal road. Those recently became available on the criterion channel, along with several of her short films. And it's just, you know, it's a long time coming. She has been at this for a while. Um, I, like I said, criminally underrated, uh, underacknowledged. And it kind of feels like she's finally, finally long overdue getting the attention she deserves. Is the Criterion channel available on Apple TV? Because if I can download that app, I can totally check her out that way. I do not know, but we will put that in the article on whether it is or not when we publish it on Thursday. <laughs> Good to know, because I've actually never heard of this filmmaker, so I want to check her out. And the fact it's all in like one place is very convenient. Yeah, like I, I strongly, strongly suggest if you haven't heard from her, heard of her, uh, look her up. She's, it, I can't say enough how instrumental she's been in either preserving or making queer film if i remember correctly IndieWire also pointed out that you uh might have seen her name in the special thanks of pretty much every queer film restoration or re-release of the last 30 years she really just we honestly we could probably do an entire episode on her but we just don't have the time but the level of care she has to queer cinema is just pivotal foundational I, you know for me to say she's a cornerstone of having the queer film we do now i think would not be overstating it i'll need to look up her films because i i'm a film buff and even i haven't heard of her so you know she's underrated well again it's not just her films it's her work archiving and her work mm -hmm. restoring films that would have otherwise been forgotten, especially like from the seventies and eighties. So, you know, one of the things she's doing right now is the Brisson project and that's restoring, releasing the films of Arthur J. Brisson Jr., who was a prolific gay filmmaker in the seventies and eighties who died during the AIDS pandemic in 87. So, I mean, this should tell you the type of work she's doing. And it's really without her, a lot of these films would be forgotten to time. Yeah, that's something a lot of people take for granted is that even if that movies can actually be lost to the void because film can be a very delicate physical medium. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know for some of us, it's like, what? We don't save everything? No, not everything is digital, unfortunately. <laughs> Sometimes reels get lost or they're degraded or they're unfortunately destroyed so the fact that we have tireless archivists and restorationists doing this work is just pivotal and i'm really happy that she is getting the recognition she deserves so speaking of film 
There is a new Martin Scorsese-backed documentary that follows a priest who ministers to LGBT Catholics. I know, boo hiss, like the Catholic Church right now uh, and how they are relating to LGBTQ persons, how they are apparently doubling down. <clears throat> this isn't even going into what the U.S. Catholic bishops are trying to do, wading into politics to try to deny the Eucharist to basically any progressive Catholic out there, including our president. <sighs> no, we're good. This is happy. This is happy. All right. So this is centered on Reverend James Martin, and he is a polarizing figure because obviously you have very far right conservative Catholics that think what he's doing is just the worst thing to do. And then obviously you have progressive Catholics who you know, think what he's doing is an example to everyone else. And the documentary is called Building a Bridge. It premiered on June 15th, I believe, at the Tribeca Film Festival and really just kind of documented his journey from, you know, trying to push church leaders to love LGBT members and then to where he just outright criticized that March Vatican statement barring priests from blessing same-sex unions. Good for him. Yeah. So he's uh, maybe check that out because I know church militant absolutely loathes him right now. That's a right-wing advocacy. I can talk. Advocacy group. Yeah. If you want to give him, give it a check. When it comes out, when it's available in your area or comes out on streaming, I think that would absolutely be something worth viewing just because if we, I, I'm of the belief that if we leave our fight to either churches or quote unquote red states or wherever the far right is creeping up, that we just basically roll out the red carpet for them to take power. It is always, always, always worth in any venue to push back. It reminds me of a video Philosophy Tube did a while back where she talked about climate change and climate change grief. And something she brought up is how like with indigenous scholars, something what they kind of point out is like everything, you, whatever you do, it helps make the world better and make the world healthier and safer because every, all the ills of society are interconnected. And so doing something as small as like being a priest who validates and acknowledges and does services for LGBTQ people. It's, you know, it's, it, it's a ripple effect. It's dropping a stone in a pond and the doing one good thing for a person, they do a good deed and so on and so forth. So every bit helps. It always does, even if it doesn't feel like it. And then also in recent controversial films uh in the heights finally came out there is a lot of well-earned and deserved criticism for colorism in the casting both of us want to get that out of the way at the beginning because yes it is deserved they should have done better and they did not however i do believe taylor has something to say about another aspect of that film in the heights i know that they do have a a queer couple it's two women who are together and I from what I've heard that it's not the whole will they would they go will they or will they not get together it is they're together like I think they even like live together and wake up in the same bed and it's very domestic and cute and just it's two women in a relationship and that's it and that's it's very simple and so 
different from a lot of queer media we get in queer couples we get on the screen. It's just showing them what their lives are like after happily ever after when they're just together, which is cool. Plus Stephanie Beatrice plays one half the couple and she's an open bisexual, openly bisexual woman. So she definitely would bring a queer lens to her acting there and could have given suggestions for the script to make it more authentic. So, you know, own voices can be a very good thing sometimes. And this is a good example of own voices in acting. If only they'd have used that for casting everybody else. I'm I'm happy that there is queer rep and in the heights unfortunately for me it doesn't cancel out the fact that there is just woefully woefully rampant colorism in the casting that they're like oh we need to do better well you should have done better in the casting process that's just me sorry no you're fine i totally agree i just didn't have anything to add to that since you had already (laughs) mentioned it i was actually getting ready to go to bring up our next topic which is a rant if- yeah, this is all Taylor. Just FYI, Taylor actually does work in and around the publishing industry. So she actually has some pretty good insight on what's coming up. So I'm just going to let her take this one. Thank you. Okay. So the American Book Sales Association um, really fucked up. So in their like subscriber mailbox to independent bookstores, they sent in their box this time around, they had an anti trans book as part of the box and it came the box arrived to stores on international non-binary people's day and the book is a book that deals with a very incorrect transphobic theory about rapid onset gender dysphoria and the book which is by abigail shira i think basically is this idea that young kids are getting gender dysphoria, but they're not actually, they're just being convinced by the trans trender bullshit. Like, oh, kids only having quote unquote gender dysphoria because they see trans people and they're being indoctrinated. When like, no, it's the fact that because trans people are more visible and the voices have been more elevated in recent years, people have more language to better explain their feelings and acknowledge who they really are. And this was just a very shitty thing for the American Book Sales Association to do and they released a letter on Twitter where they apologized and they're like we apologize to our trans members and to the trans community blah 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 and and the book publisher I think it's for the book Renegory I think it's how it's pronounced were very taken aback by the American Book Sales Association stance and were upset you know we wanted to send out this book and we included all these free copies because it's the paperback edition. So, you know, trying to promote the new version of the book. And I'm not going to name the book because I don't want to platform it. I'm just going to say that the American Book Sales Association, yes, they posted an apology letter and promised that they're going to address this issue and engage in the critical dialogue needing to inform concrete steps to address the harm we caused. They posted that letter on July 14th on their Twitter account. But since then, they have changed their Twitter account so you can only, only some people can view their account. And I can understand sometimes people changing their privacy settings on account 
if they're getting a lot of hate and they need privacy, but this is a major corporation. And the thing is, with publishing a book, there are a lot of people involved and a lot of steps. You know, publishing is a lot more complicated than a lot of people think. So people tend to think the author writes the book, they send it to, to the publishing house, someone pulls it out of the slush pile, the editor reads it, sends the author an acceptance letter, and then the editor edits it, goes, gets a cover, goes to press. No, that is so much of an oversimplification. It's always so funny when people ask me what I do because they think I just sit at a desk all day with a red pen going over paper. Not at all. Um, there are a lot of different steps because you have proofreaders, you have copy editors, you have cover designers, um, you have production editors, you have write, rights permission people. And for a book like this, this book would have had even more attention I don't know if exactly if the book is considered a trade book, but because of the subject matter and its visibility, it likely was. So the publishing industry, there's a hierarchy of books. Um, trade books are the top. Those are the money makers. Those are the ones that are usually around $20 to $30 at, at, on hardback and sell a lot of copies and have a lot of copies printed on a first run because they're expected to sell a lot. Um, they can be fiction. They can also be nonfiction. So a book I actually recently worked on was a book about the Civil War. And you would think the Civil War, it's history book. It's going to be boring. Maybe so. I haven't read the book, but I think it's cool from what I've seen of it. But it, nonfiction books can absolutely be trade books, as in they can be money makers. And a book like this, which is high notoriety, got 700 copies just printed for free publicity stunt is probably a trade book. And because something is a trade book, that means it has way more attention on it because it's the money maker and you have to make sure you're not fucking it up. I myself have only worked on two trade books because I've only had my job for a few weeks. So they're starting me with the, um, the monographs, the really academic books that are like $100 a pop. So the trade books there were a lot, there have been, there would have been a lot of emails about this book about like when it's going to be sent to the American Book Sales Association, what day it's going to be shipped, how to schedule it, when to print it. So there were a lot of people that messed up essentially on this because there would have been so many emails, conversations, and threads, and people just planning this out. And I don't think the American Book Sales Association needs to necessarily name the people involved who messed up and sent out an anti-trans book on a trans day but they should definitely be having internal discussions about this because the publishing industry is liberal but that's with an asterisk because they still have a lot to address whether it's racism in books not paying authors of color enough um, having to figure out how to be trans inclusive in their language etc cetera, etc cetera. Basically do better. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't necessarily, a, and this is something I learned before I started in publishing, but it's become even clearer to me in publishing. Just because a book is marketed as nonfiction does not mean it's had fact checkers. Publishers do not budget for fact checkers for a nonfiction book. They expect the, the author to pay out of pocket for that. So the, the anti-trans book is, of course, obviously bad science. I mean, Julia Serrano debunked the rapid onset gender dysphoria theory very easily. I linked some of her writing. She's a great scientist and blogger, but it's even more relevant in a industry that does not prioritize fact-checking in its budgeting. So, so that's again, my, 
Be better. Yeah, be better. <laughs> Budget for fact checkers. Check your dates. Yeah, be better. That's just the summary of this episode for so many people. So with that done, here's how we're going to wrap up the episode of Taylor and I are going to wade into the discourse and hopefully this doesn't backfire on us spectacularly. Black Widow came out. I saw it twice in theaters. I loved it. There's a little bit of a discourse going on over the character of Yelena Belova. And there's a couple of things, a couple of levels here. The top level is, you know, there, there are people claiming based off of one interview and a couple of, I believe it's three comic book cells from cells, not sales from an issue where Yelena says she's not anything relating to somebody assuming she was a lesbian. And from these two items, there are certain individuals that are taking this as the gospel truth, quote unquote, that Yelena is both asexual and aromantic. And anybody who headcanons her as anything else is, should, I guess, be ashamed of themselves. So let's, let's break this down. Taylor and I would absolutely be thrilled if MCU had the actual guts to make an asexual character. Like openly asexual says the words. We would be thrilled because there's not enough ace representation. However, a couple of things we want to talk about. A, asexual identity and aromantic identity are not interchangeable. There's a lot of conflation going on here. A person can be asexual and aromantic, but they are not synonyms. Yes. And there's a, there seems to be this weird assumption that because of the word asexual was, was mentioned once in an interview and because of these three cells, she, is all, she must be heavily implied to be aromantic as well. Um, again, please stop conflating the two. They're two very different identities. You can have romantic asexuals. And you can have sexual aromantics. You can be both, but that is not a given. And I'm really not liking how those two identities are being conflated here in this discourse. So please stop it. Definitely, especially because I, I am not as familiar with aromanticism, but I can speak a little to asexuality because I've done a lot of research on it. And asexuality, it's a spectrum. You know, within that spectrum, for example, you have demisexuality, which is that someone doesn't feel sexual attraction in general, but then once they form an emotional connection to someone, they do. And I once read a great essay about a, a non-binary individual who was, who was demisexual. And, you know, for example, they were really horny and they'd have one night stands, but they could never feel satisfied and they didn't know why. And then they realized that no matter how like, to be blunt they were they would never like scratch that itch if they were just with a stranger they needed to be someone they had an intimate connection with so demisexuality is a type of asexuality but it's not the way people normally can picture asexuality and you know there are people who are asexual who are physically affectionate with their partners for example you know some asexual people are completely sex or pulse they don't want anything to do with it some asexual people are fine with it you know it's it's as of complex and as a variety of experiences as any orientation is um the the other thing 
we want to talk about is this kind of militant, like attacking other people just for having, and, and they're not even bad head. They're not racist head cannons. They're not homophobic head cannons. It's just, oh, well, Yelena could be a lesbian. And there's like attacking, like, why are you wasting your energy attacking people for this? There are it's, literal, like, did you listen to the first half of our episode again with all the shit going on in the world? And this is what you're going to use your energy on? It's like, they're also like lesbians who are asexual. I mean, there was literally, I remember there was actually yeah, a that's book in the 90s. Like, is this conflation, again, the conflation that asexual is just somehow like its own island. I'm like, again, like Taylor just said, there are bisexual women, or I should say biromantic women who are asexual. Or there's bisexual women who are aromantic. There are lesbian aromantic women and there are asexual lesbian women. None of this is prohibitive. And again, here you want to talk about the MCU people who are like, "Hmm." like, I'm like, y'all must be white. The people who are saying this very particular I don't like it. Like the ca- the comics have to be canon. I don't like it when the MCU changes. It's it's bad for me. And I'm like, okay, so you wanted Black Panther to have the still horrifically racist man ape character instead of Mbaku, and you wanted Nakia to be this horrifically misogynoir drawn character instead of the amazing character we got. You wanted the Dora Milaje to still be this weird harem. I'm, I'm like, I'm sorry, but a lot of the stuff the MCU does is problematic, but the changes they make to a lot of their comic canon counterparts are stripping away a lot of super racist, misogynistic shit attached to them through decades. I actually read several Black Widow comics in preparation for this talk, just to familiarize myself with the, the comic version of Yelena Belova. She is not at all Black um, Natasha Romanoff's sister in the comics there's like oh like there's a there's just there's a professional rivalry and her wanting to become the next black widow and this passionate professional like drive but there's no like genuine sisterly lover connection that's so beautiful in the movie and so rare my i was discussing this topic with my housemate yesterday and she pointed out that besides natasha and yelena the only other sister relationship, like sister-sister relationship in the MCU is Nebula and Gamora, which is pretty sad that in a vast, you know, cinematic universe like Marvel, we only have two sister-sister relationships. You know, that was a change from the comics because comics, comic canon is not like adapting a singular novel. Like comics are just, as a, they just change so often on a sometimes decades old, so many different writers and creators in general. I mean, have y'all, like, if, y- if y'all read, like, some of the Black Widow comics in the 90s and early 2000s with Elena Belova, you will cringe just from how male gazy the costume designs are. Some things in comics will change just due to ch- time. Sometimes they'll change due to creators. And, yeah, just don't attack people for their headcanon shipping stuff. Like, it's also, fine. Also, like, like, fandom in general, I think, and this was a note Taylor had made that I'm going to bring up because we're starting to run out of time. Um, I think fandom in general kind of has this tendency to strip comments of their context to service like these very rigid head cannons. 
And to me, that's, and to Taylor both, it's kind of ironic because queerness, see, you know, to us, it's like breaking down this rigidity. Yeah, like the word queer literally means weird. Like it's, labels are useful, but labels shouldn't be walls. They should be guiding points. Again, like we would be absolutely thrilled if the MCU had the guts to be like, no, Yellen is asexual. We're going to make her say it loud and proud. She's asexual. Everybody's going to accept it and it's going to be great. I would love if that happened. That'd be great. Asexuality is a spectrum. Stop conflating a bunch of identities and, you know, like stop deciding you think the best usage of your time is to go and find people minding their own business on their own social media platforms and attack them. Go outside, get some fresh air. Go look at the fireflies. So lovely at this time of year. If you live in a place that is summer, if you're in the uh, southern part of the global hemisphere set, then, you know, I hope you're enjoying your winter. I would honestly trade positions because it's so hot here on the Mid-Atlantic. It's so Our, our lovely uh, heat bubble going on is just, that's great. Uh, but anyways, yeah, we're not saying we're anti-Yelena being asexual. We're saying like some of this discourse is kind of ridiculous. And we're not saying you are ridiculous for wanting her to be asexual on the screen. We're saying certain people are being ridiculous and how they are having discussions with other people and please stop conflating a bunch of different identities because that's not really cool either that's about all the time we have um didn't quite get to all we wanted i think we may shunt a couple of these over to later in the year don't forget to check out our other fundamentals podcasts all bark no dice anime attache beneath the screen of the ultra critics Cannon fodder. Uh, Cannon fodder is actually on hiatus until September. It's our, uh, what was it? Mid-season finale was the last episode we had. So we'll be back in September on that. But you should use this time to catch up on all the episodes if you haven't tuned in already. Fae Forge Academy is every Friday. Also, episode 60. Great time to drop in if you haven't caught any of the other episodes it's a kind of like a nice catch-in episode get you caught up with everything that's gone on if you kind of want to jump in and go from there ladies first obviously that's rom and right to survive podcast i know i got them all because taylor made me a list (laughs) it's one of my favorite things to do so we are planning some fun episodes later this year obviously like i said if you're a swifty fan you should maybe want to check in on next month and then we have a special guest in september i'm not going to spoil it but i am surprised i am not surprised but i am uh what's the word excited for that to happen and we have some fun episodes coming up later this fall as well so thank all of you thanks to all of you for tuning in we appreciate your continued listenership and for taking what we said about the asexual discourse in the good faith we intended and not in the absolute worst possible light and trashing us online. <clears throat> so yeah, stay safe, wear a mask, and get va- vaccinated, folks. Yes, please. Please, please, please. On that note, we'll see you next time. Goodbye.